I get those goosebumps every time You come around, yeah You lose my mind, you make everything so fine Worry about those comments I'm way too numb, yeah It's way too dumb, yeah I get those goosebumps every time I need the hybrid Throw that to the side, yo I get those goosebumps every time, yeah When you're not around me Throw that to the side, yo I get those goosebumps every time, yeah 713 Through the 21, yeah, I'm riding Why they on me? Why they on me? I'm flying Sipping low-key I'm sipping low-key and honest I get those goosebumps every time You come around, yeah You lose my mind You make everything go fine Worry about those times I'm way too numb, yeah It's way too dumb, yeah I get those goosebumps every time I need the hybrid Throw that to the side, yeah. I get those goosebumps every time, yeah When you're not around me Throw that to the side, yeah. Yes, the Richie music he's, back is in full of view. He's on mute. I was thinking, what's going on? I can't unmute. Oh, there you are. Again, yeah. I did it again. Yes. I did. <laughs> there we go. There's the first laugh and uh, cock up of the night, anyway. So, but look, everyone, welcome to uh, Loaded Mag and UFC's uh, special on this Sunday night. Uh, a jam packed Sunday night, in fact, because obviously this is the first of two live shows tonight. because... Uh, we do go live with a, a weird days AC Milan special at half past nine, which I'm sure that Pete will tell us a little bit about later on in the show. But uh, I'm joined by Daz and Pete tonight. Lads, how are you both on this Sunday night? All good, Richie. All good. Richie, I'm rocking the Irish Mags top tonight, representing the lads. Uh, it's finally got slightly cold enough to wear, so I said I'd give it a wear tonight. Yeah, that's good, I'll, I bet I'll be getting plenty of use over the next six months or so. Um, <laughs> sure <but> will. <laughs> Pete, how are you, mate? I'm great. Three points in the bag. Ain't had one of these weekends for a long while, so I'm enjoying enjoying it, I'm not going to lie. Would there be an opportunity for me to get one of those Irish mags? I do have a little bit of Irish in me going back through (laughs) sides of the family. DNA testing, uh, we'll see, we'll see. If you move over, Pete, we can organize. It was actually my granddad. It was actually my granddad. Um, oh, uh, he's, cool. yeah, part Irish, so so yeah, it's, I um, talk to the lads, yeah, <laughs> see what we can do. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I want to join the club. No, it's a great talk, <laughs> by the way, but but I'm good, I'm good, Richard. Good, good. Now, with the guest we've got tonight, he's no, no stranger at the Lord of Mag and you'll see, he's been on a few times before, everyone loves his content, in it. but obviously, football fans has gone you know berserk over the recent years and you know, decades and stuff like that. Um, just an interesting one to prove how much it's got weird. Um, the, the guest tonight put this tweet out, and it's in relation to Newcastle and when we broke the world record for Alan Shearer. Now, obviously, at the time, we paid 15 million 27 years ago uh, when we bought him for Blackburn. Uh, and obviously, the story after that's, you know, unbelievable. But in today's market, uh, you know, obviously... It'd be worth two hundred and thirty-five million, you know, in today's money, 
which is just it's it's just staggering how much it can change. You know, I can still remember the day uh, Alan Shearer signed. I don't know, both you might be able to do that as well. So yeah. it's 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 worth, it's just worth every penny, even, even if it was two hundred thirty-five million worth every penny. It was, yeah. So you know, when you say stuff like this, you you, you know that you you want to get someone who can you know get to all the the, the greyness of all football fans and try and make it a bit more black and white as we like it is to to say. So, you know, once again, I'd just like to welcome back Mr. Kieran Maguire from The Price of Football. How are you, Kieran? I'm, I'm grand, thanks, guys. Thanks very much for inviting me back. Uh, good to see so many smiles on your faces after, uh, this weekend as well. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what a result can do. Yeah. You, you really want to see it two weeks ago. I was about to say, we, we might as well get the elephant out the, you know, in the room out of the way. So, bright and fantastic start of the season. I don't think you probably would have expected to have a start season like that. You know, unfortunately, we were at the, uh, the, the wrong end of a, a, a drubbing a few, just before the international break. And then you went to Old Trafford yesterday and uh, had a fantastic result uh, there. And I believe you were, you were at Old Trafford as well for it, Kieran. So it uh, was even better for you. It, it was. I mean, I, I've, I've been to Old Trafford on, on many of occasions because I lived in Manchester for 40 years. So I go and watch United in the city if I was doing now. Um, but yeah, we... we Brighton put out a team which which cost seventeen million pounds. The, the the starting eleven cost seventeen million pounds. So I think it shows that uh, football uh, it m- money's money helps. You know, and, yeah, without it, I'll, I'll be out of a job. So so, uh, but uh, spending it smartly, and, and I think that's what Newcastle have done. Because if you take a look at uh, Everton, for example, they've spent their owners put in three quarter of a billion pounds. And he's 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 leaving now with his tail very much bigger between his legs. So uh, yeah, it, it's it's a funny thing, money in football. Uh, we we get very excited about it, and uh, it's uh, it, it's it's not always the solution, but but it helps. It's, it's like anything in life, isn't it? You, you can be happy when you're poor, and you can be miserable when you're rich. But it's easier to be happy when you're happy when you're rich. Yeah, it is. At least you haven't got the money worry sort of thing on that sort of front. But yeah, I did. We did say that sweet yeah, and we put it on there because it, it it sort of links into where we're going to go. You know, a bit later in the show as well. Um, just off the comments that Dan Ashworth's made in the past. But look, we'll get we'll get started straight away because obviously we know we've got you for a limited time tonight, Kim. Obviously, it's much appreciated. Anyway. And we want to start with basically when I think it goes back a few months when uh, you made a tweet about uh, the Forbes Rich List in football, and obviously you you, you put the uh, the, the Diagram up as well with it, and it shows that I think it's Newcastle are was it where twenty second richest club in the world, and you know you think it's not too bad, bear man what you all look at, but then you highlight the point that two places valued above us is Crystal Palace. Now, obviously, you, and obviously you put you made a comment, a tweet about this on, online, and it uh, got a bit of uh, interesting responses to it. But the play, the, the capacity sellers parks half the capacity St James Park. Um, you know, and we've qualified for the Champions League and stuff like that, and they're, they're still valued as more than Newcastle. So, where's the logic in that, Kieran? To start with, obviously, I don't. You must agree, don't agree with with the the Forbes rich list there as much as what we do. Yeah, I'm I, I'm very skeptical about when some of these tables come out because, without being too rude to Forbes, because Forbes asked me to uh, to, to value a couple of clubs, by the way. So, you know, they'll phone up at either yeah, journalists or people in the industry and so on and come out with a number and, and they don't tend to double and triple check it. So uh, take some of those, those tables 
uh, with a huge pinch of salt. Yeah, things like transfer market. Tra the guys that run transfer market openly admit that their numbers it's, it's just it's, it's just the guesswork. What what you've got is a load of spotty virgins in their bedrooms coming up with valuations of players, <laughs> and uh, you know, yes, sort of, and they're playing FIFA and they're, and their man brings them up a, a pot noodle for tea, and then they go back and say, oh, oh, this player is really good on FIFA, so therefore I think he's worth another ten million, and and that's how that's how transfer market capology which uh, comes up with the figures for the players' wages. Absolute nonsense. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that, that I do speak to some agents. I do talk to some people in the industry. And I, I think some of these issues sh should should be private, but but we, we're always nosy when it comes to football. Uh, just take any of these things with, with huge doses of salt. Um, there is no way that Crystal Palace, who I loathe, of course, as a Brighton fan, are worth more than Newcastle United. So, yeah, uh, any, any opportunity to have a little dig at, uh, at my friends from Sellers. And, and they are friends as well, because I've, I've, I've done talks at Sellers and you know, Kevin, who I do the podcast with, he's a Palace fan and, and pre-match we'll, we'll always go up uh, and have a, have a drink together. Yeah, it did, it did shock all of us, I must admit, when we saw the, those valuations. But, you know, some of the things that may reflect those prices is what Newcastle, the situation Newcastle went before the takeover went through. Um, and obviously what we'll do is I'm just going to briefly, you know, I'll put these uh, four slides up and obviously you can just go over it briefly for where Newcastle were as a financial basis, you know, from the start of the 21-22 se season when obviously we started with Mike Ashley uh, in charge that's it, that, those, that uh, financial year. Obviously the takeover went from before, after, by the end of it. But obviously it's, it leads us into the rest of the show. So obviously this is when the accounts got published earlier in the year and, um, Obviously, there was the the, the 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 cash that they ended up on, and obviously the losses that Newcastle uh, had incurred as well uh, over that period as well. And um, the transfer figures, obviously, something we weren't ever used to having really having uh, to deal with as a Newcastle fan. Like over the mic, actually, it was transfer fees, but you know we actually bought players, um, and as you can see, because of the assets we already had, there wasn't much to sell, which we've still found out in this window as well, really. Um, and uh, then you go into the final bit here as well, where uh, it goes, obviously, how much was still owed from uh, player sales, uh, obviously the loan to Mike Ashley and stuff like that. So what, what can you tell us of that financial statement that you took out of those, uh, the, the figures when they were released, Kieran? Well, I think 21-22 was, was a transformative year. Clearly, from, from your perspective of fans, it was the end of the Ashley era. And... I've always said that I know that there is a huge dislike for Mike Ashley. He could have been a lot worse, but he wasn't good. Um, and the reason why I say that is that he, he did lend money interest-free, but he didn't invest in the club. We saw that. I think, I think I calculated the infrastructure spend of all of the Premier League clubs during the Mike Ashley era. And when you see Newcastle United spending less money on infrastructure than than Brentford and Norwich and Burnley and, and all of these things, then uh, it, it does it does make you wonder here you know, why hasn't he he put money in there because there was the opportunity I think that was a lost lost opportunity and you put up here these these commercial revenues well Newcastle United's commercial revenues in two thousand and eight were also around about twenty six million pounds as was Manchester City's and look at Manchester City's you know fifteen years later now. I think we have to take Manchester City's figures you know, into consideration. Well, but 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 is it because if if you 
if you were a, if 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 you were looking for a commercial partner as as an organisation, you want to be associated with success. And Manchester City have delivered success. They've got the Champions League. You know, if, if I've got yeah, let's let's say I'm I'm selling water bottles wherever it is. I want to be uh, Manchester City's official water bottle partner. Well, if, if, if I've got the Champions League or the Premier League or if I've got Pep or Kevin De Bruyne or Haaland next to my product, can you imagine the, the amount of additional eyeballs? So I I find it strange. Uh, I think that's the politest way to describe that, that Manchester City are generating £50 million a year more than Manchester United um, as far as commercial income is concerned. And that's not because I'm anti-Manchester City or pro-Manchester United. I'm certainly never pro-Manchester United. But I think we all acknowledge that there is that there is a global pecking order. Uh, you've only got to look at yeah, Manchester United's a soap opera. The, the number of uh, the number of social media posts from their fans is 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 huge. Um, so so Manchester City's figures are seem a little bit high, but but that's linked to the, the club's ability to generate trophies. Newcastle's is is, is Newcastle United shouldn't be where they are in that table, and 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 there's two reasons for that. First of all, um, you know I'm I'm a teacher. I, I I teach at university of those people that don't know me, and, and we'd look at that growth, and we you always say that the culture of an organisation is set by the people at the very top. And you know, if, if I was if I was lecturing, I would say, well, I look at these numbers, I, I look at the lack of growth, and you would just, and the conclusion that you would come to is the owner, and, and this is a technical phrase we use in business. The owner doesn't give a flying fuck about the the, the commercial basis of the club, and and that's that's ludicrous because w- whether we like it or not, and it's sort of a, it's a it, it's a relationship which, as fans, we, we're always slightly uncomfortable with, but. We know that ultimately commercial income brings in extra money, which goes through into wages, which goes through into transfers. So therefore, it's beneficial to the club as a whole. And when, when the owner's not interested in that, you go, well, well you know, why on earth is that taking place? And then secondly, I think it's fair to say that Manchester, that, that Mike Ashley in his own right is a brand and he's a very toxic brand. He's not, he's not, he's not a positive. So as Newcastle, if I was a Newcastle United fan, I would boycott everything to do with Mike Ashley. And if I was a manufacturer or a service company, I would think twice about associating myself with Mike Ash- with Newcastle United during the, the, the Ashley regime because the fans might weaponize themselves and say, right, we're going to boycott my products. And you know, I, I remember when Manchester United used to be sponsored by Vodafone. I, I, I refused to have a Vodafone contract yeah because uh, I, I wouldn't have a sharp television and, and that's what we like as fans and that's where it should be but when your own fans are turning against the products that makes things even worse and I think that's where we were under the Ashley regime and that's why the the, the monies were so underrepresentative of the club's potential yeah and it, it sort of goes in because obviously the you did an article in the athletic with Chris Wolf and George Colt and I think it was uh, just before the end of last season uh, and you got into a few different things, which we'll cover here. And one of the things that was really uh, important was the fact that Newcastle's wage to turnover ratio was at ninety five percent, which is drastic, really, compared to uh, you know it doesn't really allow you to do much full stop. And we, we we know that there was a lot of dead wood on there in in the in the squad, um, which were on really high wages and stuff like that. Uh, and especially the, the way that last season went with New, for Newcastle, um, and obviously yes, 
obviously you didn't notice at the time of when the article was wrote. Obviously, we ended up qualifying for the Champions League. Um, obviously, the, the remit had to change because they had two different, you know, as we saw during the Amazon Prime documentary, they had lists for which European competition they were going to fit and which targets. And that has to change and you have to, you know, go on different sorts of that. And then you have also have the fact that they talked about the Anthony Gordon deal, which was quite expensive at the time as well. And it was, you know, you, you, you really it was a deal that the what to do, but it was, it went through the roof and, you know, they'd already, as he's mentioned, they had three windows that spent 250 million, but they've already said that's taken them to the FFP limits. But how important it was to get the Champions League qualification to provide a bit of breathing space because we'll also be able to get rid of the dead wood to reduce the wage bill. We're going to be able to get some people come in who were would fit the wage structure but enhance the quality of the squad and stuff like that. And especially now we've got at that that Champions League place, Eddie Howe then looks for Premier League quality players or European uh, top calibre players, which don't come cheap. But you know that was a, a really interesting article that you you did with the Athletic Kieran, and obviously that's just a few of the things that we picked out on it. But it really really highlighted that how important us qualifying for the Champions League goes because as you then get into potential Champions League revenues alone, um, obviously you can see by this uh, figure here, it says your clubs receive you know 13.8 million, and uh, plus then there's the wins and then the draws and the prize money, the, the TV money, which is broken down into this bar graph here, which is from this, I think it was you, you published it on your on your this, time, this is uh, yeah. Th- this is Swiss Ramble. This is it, yeah. Exactly. Is you'd retweeted it, and it was it was fantastic. How it shows the the gulf. Well, in European football, full stop. Obviously, the, the one on the right there's West Ham for last season. Mm. This was taken just before the um the the group stages finished at the end. Of, so we were looking what ten months ago now, and obviously we know that West Ham would have got a lot more money off that because they went on to win that tournament, and obviously Manchester City. That's at the estimated earnings there at the end of the group stage. They went mm. on to win that. Mm. They're, they're staying there. They were, I think it's eight, roughly eighty-five million at that moment. Then time, uh, and that's just at the group stages. So it, it's it's what what impact is this really going to have on Newcastle qualifying for the Champions League, Kieran? Like obviously for this season, and hopefully going forward if they can qualify again in the future. Well. I think worst case scenario, we're probably be looking at at thirty million pounds, but that, that's that's assuming that Newcastle United do a Rangers, and yeah, you know, Rangers lost all six games, so you you win a couple of games, you, you if you get into the knockout phase, it's building for the future as well, because one of those things from the Swiss Ramble table is what we call the UEFA coefficient, and what. What UEFA do is that they rank each of the 32 teams, and next year it's going to be 36 teams. They rank each of the the 32 teams based on their their past performances in Europe, and you effectively get a million pounds for each place you are up in the table. So Newcastle, because under Ashley, they they didn't have European participation, they're going to be starting at the bottom. If they have a good Champions League, you know, two things. First of all, they get more money, but secondly, their coefficient increases, which means they get more money the next time in Europe, um, and so on. Um, I think this is an absolutely critical season for for all of the. the and realistically, yeah, as much as I love Brighton, we, we ain't we aren't chasing a Champions League spot. Yeah, we're we're having a few good Not games. Yet. Sorry, Not yet. It's, no, no, it's no, doing no, well though. 
so far. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, the I'll classic it. playing it down. The classic playing it down. <laughs> play. That's what we did last season, boys, wasn't it? Yeah. We did. We did. Now I, I I piled last week into uh, I got four hundred to four hundred to one, and I was getting relegated. You know, I, I, I'm a typical you know, typical fan. Yeah, you're always a pessimist. Yeah, oh yeah, you deserve you'll be off to Juventus and. Uh, you know, Ferguson will break a leg, and, and then you know, I'm, I'm I'm always like like all fans, you're always slightly pessimistic. Um, Karen, you, you you wake up one morning and you just have, you have this buzz in your ears, and you just you know what it is, and it, it kind of grows, and that's what happened just in October. It grows and grows, and uh, look, we are now. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to to the Amex on Thursday night to something not dissimilar. Yeah. Uh, can we got our, our first European games? Um. But next season, you, you showed those numbers there. Next season, in, instead of getting you know, 14, 15 million pounds for pure qualification, you're going to get 29. And that's and that's before the TV money kicks in. And that's before you're probably getting three, three and a half million. And of course, every match at St. James's Park, you, it, it's going to be a sellout. The commercial department, because it is the Champions League and you, you've got clubs of the caliber that you're up against they can effectively name their own price for the hospitality boxes so so you're probably looking at you know three three and a half million pounds per match from from gate receipts which which is fantastic the sponsors bonuses will kick in because they've signed a deal with newcastle which was on the basis of playing in the premier league now there will be bonuses for you playing in Europe because ultimately, what are what are the sponsors looking for? The sponsors are looking for eyeballs, and you get you get eyeballs at the weekend. Um, and you know, if, if you're playing Bournemouth at home, you know, I, I've got, I've got no you know strong feelings one way or the other against Bournemouth or Fulham or whoever it's going to be. Um, but they don't tend to that generate huge viewing figures. But if it's Milan, if it's Barcelona, if, if it's Bayern, you know, as you go through, then then you will get huge European viewing figures, as well as Asia, as well as the US market. And that means that your sponsors have to go and cough up more, which, you know, more money in the box, more money for wages, more money for transfers, and you get into that virtuous circle. And I think that's that's where Eddie Howe and Dan Ashworth and the people at the top of the club are, are, are looking to move Newcastle on to. Yeah, it, it was. It, as obviously I mentioned before, we, we and obviously the lads know this really well uh, due to the We Are Newcastle United uh, documentary on uh, on Prime Video. I don't know whether you had a chance to watch that. Although obviously it was up because it was mainly about the commercial side of the club rather than you know the all or nothing series that's been done. Um, and obviously one of the things that was really highlighted was the fact that the poor commercial deals beforehand uh, by Amanda Stavely. She, she you know she commented several times on that during there. Um, you know that the Castor Kid Supplies had they had another uh, four seasons with six year deal, uh, and that was r- roughly worth seven million seven million annually. While Spurs, as a, as a comparison at the time, were reportedly on twenty five million a season with Nike, but obviously we, they also managed to get a loophole to get out of the the shirt sponsor as well uh, with Fun eighty eight as well. Uh, that was estimated at roughly six and a half million a year. Now, obviously Newcastle brought in Peter Silverson. Uh, previously of Arsenal, fantastic uh, chief commercial officer. Uh, and we've seen that in the documentary as well. And we've already seen so far with some of the deals that he's been working so hard to boost that caliber. Now, as I was talking to Daz before you joined us in the green room, you, you look at the commercial side of it straight away where it's getting taken. If you look at the, the, the sleeve sponsor that Newcastle had previously to, to, to noon, was it was Kayak, and you also had Funny Aid. You roughly look at 10 million a year for both of those. 
now with uh, noon, I believe if you look at the figures that were, were quoted here, um, you know, seven and a half million asking price for that. And then you've got uh, the, the seller deal that came on uh, uh, for this year as well. Obviously, it had to go through the, the uh, you know, it make sure it was, uh, you know, it was fit and all above board because of the alliance with the, the, the PIF and the seller being part of the PIF umbrella. Uh, so we've roughly gone up to uh, 32 and a half. So it's over, it's, it's over triple, triple mm. the amount that's coming straight away just by actually branding yourself in line with other teams in the Premier League. Um, and that's, as you said, you know, when those have been actually agreed, uh, those were agreed before Champions League was guaranteed. So those figures are probably on the basics. So, where do you think those figures will be now that Champions League have called? What, what, you know, would it be an extra 25% on that? Or is that just something that's, you know, just a made-up figure I've just come up with? Or is it that realistic? I, I think we are we are certainly talking millions. I, I've got to be honest, a lot will depend upon how far Newcastle United progress in the Champions League. Because if, if they get into the knockout phases, especially if they get into the further knockout phases, there will be step-ups with regards to to every position. It, it could even be beneficial if you finish third and you, and you go into the Europa League and you, you go far there because, again, it's it's another you know, six, is it six, seven matches potentially that you're looking at there. So, so that there are, uh, there will be step-ups. It's, it's easy to play guessing games and come out with numbers, um, but... I am will literally be plucking numbers from the air. So I think the, the important thing is it's the direction of travel. The actual absolute numbers are irrelevant because it's far more important for Newcastle to, to be in the Champions League next season. And if I'm honest, I think we're looking at five places in the Champions League next season because if people aren't aware that the, the Champions League's moving up from 32 to 36 teams and the additional four places... Who are going to be given to where countries are as far as their champions? So, and they'll look to say, well, you know, at, at present, Scotland get one guaranteed place and they get one knockout place because of their UEFA coefficients. So, two are going to be based on on countries' uh, coefficients, and there's going to be two wild card spots, and they're going to be based on the performance of clubs in this year's competition. Now, I know you don't want this to a certain extent, but actually it's really in Newcastle's interests for Manchester City and Manchester United, as well as Newcastle, um, as well as Arsenal, to do well. Because the two countries which do who do best in this year's competitions, they pick up one additional place. And getting into the top four, you know, seven into four doesn't work. As, as you know, it, it's not, England's not like Spain. It's not like, Scotland. It's not like France, where there's some some clubs who are guaranteed a place in the Champions League. So, you know, seven into four doesn't go. Um, and, and if we're honest, the way that Manchester City are playing, it's actually not seven into four. It's six six are chasing three places. If six are chasing four, Chelsea are a basket case. You know, I don't know whether you saw their match today. Uh, yeah, trying to work out what they're up to is is impossible. And I, and I think it's a sign of of the shambles at that particular club. You know, we've just been talking about Newcastle's got a front of shirt deal. Well, this, this is Chelsea Football Club. They've won the Champions League twice and they can't get a front of shirt deal. Mm -hmm. Now that, that's, that's amateurish. So 
I think to a certain extent, you know, they might turn it around, but there's already they got they got booed off the pitch today, and that was, yeah, they picked up a point away from home and so on. Um, so you therefore it's it's five chasing three, which isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be worth an awful lot of money next season. Yeah, so obviously you know it takes us into obviously us wanting to strengthen again next summer, and we've already known through the documentary that uh, Peter Silvers and you know we, they went away to uh, to Germany to speak to Adidas and talk about a new shirt, uh, shirt manufacturing deal. Uh, it you know, came out, it's, it's, it's worth roughly, the, the, the fact the figures are quoted at about 30 million, is that about what you're hearing, Kieran, 30 million a year? Which is obviously, as we saw from the Castor one, you know, it's you know over four times as much as what it was for, for the Castor deal. And Adidas, obviously, they've got a fantastic relationship with Newcastle. Um, me, there, Gaduzi said, said it felt like a, you know an old lover coming back together again, sort of thing, and it, and it does feel like, and I think it was the one that the fans wanted, and um, it's a potentially a commercial gold mine because I think that's also do the, the retro range as well, uh, so and obviously that's one of the best clothes, you know, jerseys and trading gear that Newcastle ever had, and they can actually you know reissue it again, uh, not off the off the, any of the copied brands, you know, like. Uh, you know, score drawer and stuff like that. These are going to be official merchants, and this will all be money that goes back into the club as well. So obviously, that's a fantastic, um, you know, development commercially as well. Uh, obviously, we we know we've got to get creative as well. Uh, and one of the first sponsorship deals that was put out was uh, our official energy drink sponsor. We followed on from our Arsenal had Prime. We went with Monster, and you know, we've discussed it's 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 all these little things that. It just brings more money into the club, and this is how Newcastle start to be really creative. Um, but I think the, the, the next thing is that I wanted to talk about before you, because I know, as I said, we know we've got you for a really short time tonight, and we appreciate it. There's two little areas we want to, to go on to quickly before we let you go, Kieran. Um, obviously, we, we've got our partnership with Seller, our shirt sports, you know, a Saudi entertainment brand, and the, they do all the big sport events over there, all the boxing and the Grand Prix. Uh, and they're part and parcel of Newcastle coming together um, with uh, Stack Brand and the old site on West Strawby Place is on next to the metro station. Um, it's going to be um, a bit like a box park. I don't know whether you know this, Kieran. It's, it's going to be obviously, but it's going to be Newcastle based. Now, our good friend Jordan Cronin uh, obviously uh, reported it this week uh, in the Newcastle World, and then there was some CGI images put on there as well uh, to see what it's actually going to look like inside there. Now, one thing that we, we don't know as fans, obviously, we're all looking forward to it. It's going to be a fantastic match day experience for you know home fans, away fans, and stuff like that, Kieran. But what sort of revenues is this going to bring in? Because obviously, it's not every club has these you know these fan zones and uh, and stuff like that. So, what sort of commercial revenue can we expect to come in from that? Do you have any idea of that, Kieran, at all? Well, if, if we take a look at Spurs, I mean, I, I was at Old Trafford yesterday, and you know, you, you've you followed Newcastle United home and away. If when I when I went up to Manchester yesterday, I met up with my mates. We spent a couple of hours in the pub. We made sure that we got to Old Trafford at about quarter ten to three, and we legged it straight afterwards. So we're there for ninety minutes. And when I was there, I don't even, I don't even use the toilets because everything everything about uh, Old Trafford under the glazers is, is tainted, in my view. But then I contrast it to Spurs. Now, Spurs make £800,000 a match from catering. That's eight hundred grand a match. That's more than some clubs make from 
their ticket sales. And it's more than the same, so you know, more than Everton making ticket sales over the course of a year. Um, and, and and why does how does how has Spurs done that? Well, they've been innovative, and what they've done is that they've created an environment at their stadium. I, I, you know, I've been there as an away fan. I don't know, don't know whether you guys have been there yourselves, whereby it's actually really nice if you get there early because the concourses are wide. They've you've, you've probably heard these stories about how how they how they serve the beer and and it's that you've got glasses which have got a hole at the bottom and there's a magnet and what that does is that you can actually fill up a pint pot ten seconds quicker. Well, if you've got sixty thousand people who are going to be at the ground probably for an hour, an hour and a quarter beforehand, they're still coming down for their fifteen minutes. If you can serve sixty thousand pints ten seconds quicker, you, you add up those numbers, then you're starting to get more money coming through, and Football's a really dumb industry because you're open 25 days a year. You know, the Apple store isn't, Tesco's isn't. You know, they're, they're serving up 360 plus. So being able to get fans, if, if, if you can get 50,000 Newcastle fans or even, you know, 20,000 Newcastle's fans spending an extra hour in the fan zone, improving the concourses, doing an expansion to make it more acceptable then the numbers start to tick up. And, and all of that is part of a much broader issue of maximising your revenues. And through your revenues, you, you can afford the cost because Newcastle can't afford to pay wages of 95% of, of revenue for the next three or four weeks. It's not, not from a cash point of view, because we know that the owners physically have the money, but FFP is your constraint. Can I, can I just jump in on that? Because I think yes, it's a really, really interesting point. Um, Myself and Chris, we we travel away games, home games, up and down the country. Um, and we both went to a couple of years ago, um, Spurs away, um, in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And that was the one game that I've been to in absolutely years where we had the vast majority of the away fans in really early. Because normally they would go to the away pubs and all the yeah. rest of it. Um, but they were in. And, and it's the exact point that you mentioned is how quick they turn over the drink. And, and it's something that we don't catch on to. I think because we've got so many bars and pubs around St. James's Park, there's so many to go to. And people have their regulars that they yeah, go yeah. to. The, the, there's a big push right, right near kickoff. Everyone has their last pint just before, and then they jump in. But the problem we've had, and, and and it's a separate conversation for another day, is with all the ticketing that's going on with the with, with the digital ticketing. We're having some problems getting fans into the stadium that is causing a mass pileup. But having that introduction of just something like that that's so small could make a huge difference because it encourages people in earlier. So it makes for that nice sort of transition into a game. Um, but like I say, the, the newer stadiums are, uh, are catching on to this and Tottenham Hotspur are definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, I, you know Newcastle were at Brighton a couple of weeks ago. I, I saw some of your lads after the match and they said, well, OK, we, we didn't enjoy the result, but we were treated really well. And therefore, you know, we did stay because we always, Brighton always will have a local ale. Uh, you know, they'll have a guest ale in the away end as a sign of respect for the away fans. And again, the clubs make more money. At the same time, you you don't want the local pubs to lose out on their custom. But you know, so it's a trade-off yeah, because you know, lots of people started going to those pubs and were staying longer than the pubs. Again, goes back to the Ashley era. You didn't want to give Mike Ashley a penny. Okay, you, you begrudgingly pay for your season ticket, but 
I'm not I'm not going to buy as much merchandise as I'd want. I'm certainly not going to buy anything the catering products and so on. And and that's that's sort of how the system worked. Uh, I think you know, there is there is a different attitude uh, under the new regime you know, in, in terms of positivity. And if they do improve the facilities, then I think fans will, will certainly buy into that. Yeah, I'll jump on the question. I think it's, it's a question that probably a lot of people want, want to answer. And I'm going to uh, quote Mark Todd's uh, uh, question here in the chat. And uh, it, it goes, uh, does Kieran believe Newcastle are operating close to their full financial fair play budget? Or are they just towing the line to keep the authorities happy? Um, I think that they do have some wiggle room. And, and I think I've said this to you lads before, that for all of the faults of Ashley, he actually, he left a legacy of a very positive FFP situation. The trouble is that does get eaten up fairly quickly. And it, it, I think whilst there is some wiggle room, Newcastle United are overspending, certainly in in 22, 23, and they did in 21, 22. And that very, very quickly gets eaten up. And what you don't want to do is to be in a position similar to that of Manchester United. And we saw it sort of towards the end of, of this summer's transfer window, where the only deals that you could do were loan deals because people say, hold on, yeah, how, how can Manchester United be in such a mess? Well, Manchester United have got the biggest wage bill in the Premier League, despite being, well, you know, not not great. I mean, okay, they had a decent season last season, um, but they still had Ronaldo's wages, and, and they signed they signed Casemiro and so on. And all of these players come in, and, and you know they're on very very lucrative contracts, um, and that meant that they had no wiggle room because they were absolutely rubbish at selling players. I think the biggest issue for Newcastle now is that as when it comes to player trading, you've got to start to look at what's going out of the door and getting decent prices. Um, and that and that's also helped by the way that the system works. If you take a look at, at Chelsea, Chelsea came in for a lot of stick over the course of the summer, but what they're very good at is is selling players. And the sale of uh, Mason Mount to Manchester United actually allows them, because of the way that the length of the contracts are, but would allow them to sign four Caicedos at £100 million pounds a pop because all of the profits on a player sale goes into your FFP calculation straight away, but the cost of the player is spread over the life of the contract. So a £100 million deal for Caicedo on an eight-year contract is £12.5 million a year. So you've got four Caicedos that cost you £50 million. They sold Mount for 55 They're actually quids in. And, and, it, and it sounds absolutely daft, but that's the way the system works. And I think Newcastle United have got people at the top who are smart enough to know how the system works, but you've got to look at... Yes, you've got players coming through. You've got to invest in your academy, and you've got to. And it's a horrible thing. You've got to view the academy as a as a, as a money making machine because that's what Chelsea do, and that's what Manchester City do. Manchester City sold four players last summer to Southampton for forty million. I'd never heard of any of them. I suspect you hadn't either. Hmm. But it's yeah. it, you know, and and they just sold this this young lad to uh, to, to to Chelsea for what forty yeah, million. Cool. He, he's oh, got, yeah, and, and he's got you know three three appearances. You, you touched on obviously selling players um and you know i think we spoke about on this channel as well i mentioned it a few times about how good chelsea are as sellers um and this is why they're able to spend the money they are but you know there was a lot of talk around newcastle united in the summer um and you know first off there was craig hope saying we only had 70 million to spend and a lot of people kind of laughing that off as we were kind of spending players 
uh, sort of spending money on, on players. Um, but does that eat into the fact of how much it was needed that we needed to to sell Alan St. Maximin in order to fund um, the, the spending this summer? Because, you know, Newcastle and people close to the club were saying that that was the case. But a lot of us, and even us on this channel, when we were doing the transfer shows, we we kind of, to a point, didn't believe it. Like, how how important and how crucial was that Alan St. Maximin signing? But also, how does that 70 million budget that Craig Hope mentioned in the summer, how did that how did that kind of work? Because he'd been told from his perspective that that was what we were working to. Yeah. I, I think you've got to treat these claims of such and such a budget with a huge pinch of salt. Because when you recruit a player, what you're looking at is, is not the transfer fee, but the cost to the club of employing that player for this season. Now, the cost to the club is going to be two things. First of all, it's going to be the wages. And secondly, it's going to be the amortisation of the transfer fee. So if you start signing players on six and seven year contracts, that gives you slightly more wiggle room. But if, if the players turn out to be turkeys, then, then the problem you've got, you, you're lumbered for six or seven years. So, so it's, it, it's, it's a trade-off. It's a huge gamble. And you know, if, if you think that Chelsea signed uh, Lukaku for 97 and a half million, and, yeah, that's, and that was on a five-year deal, that, and he's on ridiculous wages, why is he not signed for anybody else? You know, this is his third season out on loan because nobody's prepared to match his wages. Now, Newcastle, I don't think they want to be in that position because for all Chelsea's faults, they've got the benefit of being in London, able to charge London prices. They've got the benefit of a very high UEFA coefficient and, and so on. Um, so it, I, I take this figure of 70 million with a pinch of salt because if you do sell even a couple of youth players and also you know, for, for all of... Our, you know, I know a bloke that knows a bloke that knows a bloke. We haven't got a clue as to the wages that individual players are coming on. So, you know, it, uh, some some will be on, you know, you know, five million, six million, seven million a year. But we, we're doing an awful lot of guesswork um, with regards to that. And it's exactly the same with the Adidas deal and the the Sema deal and, and and the Noon deal and so on. We're, we're getting figures that are being quoted to us. They could be three or four million higher, or three, three or four million lower. So you have to treat treat them treat them with a bunch of dose of salt. And what about those players whose contracts expired in June twenty two and June twenty three? Because you forget about those players immediately, because football's football's a game. It's an industry which is which is geared towards short term things. Um, and you know, when, when I point out to Manchester United fans, are saying, "Oh, you know, the the, the, the problems the manager and we want Ronaldo back," as well. I remember Brighton beating Manchester United 4-0 with, with Ronaldo in the side. And, and he spent most of the match with his, you know, with traditional Ronaldo pose, hands on hips, uh, looking sulky. So, uh, you know, we, we, mem memories and football is, is one of the, is one of my biggest concerns. We, we've all got very short memories and people are forgetting what's actually happened over the course. And remember, FFP is a three-year operation. They've forgotten what's happened in year minus one and year minus two. Kieran, um, I, 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 I don't know how many times you would say FFP every day of your life, but Elisa has a, good, a great question here. And it, it says, a question for Kieran, with the fines for breaking FFP appearing to be so minimal, what is the point in keeping to them? Okay. Um, there are quite a few. If you take a look at the UEFA website and, and you look at some of the rulings, 
we are seeing some clubs taking one-year bans. They tend to be, I mean, Juventus this year have taken a voluntary ban from European football. And that's because they got they they got a 10 points deduction, which meant that they didn't qualify for the Champions League. And we saw this with Milan. And, and I, I don't want to go and enforce uh, stereotypes here because it, it's, it's completely inappropriate. But um, we, we've seen the Italian clubs in particular is that when they qualify for the Europa Conference or the, the UEFA Conference, they say, oh, we've breached financial fair play. Um, we're, we're handing ourselves in. And instead of risking a two-year ban from European football when they're in the Champions League, they take a one-year ban from a year in which they're in the conference in which they probably lose money. So, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of, of trading taking place. But as far as breaches in the Premier League are concerned, we've not seen anything yet but I suspect they will be geared towards points deductions rather than uh, than fines and so on. And if, if you talk to fans of Derby County or Wigan or I mean, Reading have had 16 points taken away. We've we've seen, uh, I think, South End or Scunthorpe, the South, South End have had a points deduction as well. So whilst it's in the lower leagues and it's, it's not part of you know, our focus because you know, you, you're a Premier League club, it is happening elsewhere. Um, and it is happening. It's happening in Italy. We are seeing clubs being banned in Europe um, in the minor competitions. But uh, I Keep think... Even, why, why is it not happening in the Premier League, though? And I think this is one thing, because obviously Everton have been in you know dire straits drastically over the last few years, and they know that they should have had points deductions. Why are the Premier League not? Are the others too scared to do it? Or what, what do you think? Well, both both Manchester City and Everton are up on charges at present. So um, we have to await due process. Now, if you are a club with, in, in Manchester City's case, it's a £600 million a year club in terms of revenue. In Newcastle's, it's 200 You can afford to pay lawyers and accountants appropriately. And they, and the Premier League wants to get the the Premier League is looking for an example. It's looking for a points deduction because the Premier League is opposed to the independent regulator. And the way that it feels it can achieve that is that it says, well look, yeah, we're taking we we, we can we've got our own house in order because we are prosecuting our own teams and we are giving them points deductions and therefore self-regulation is works and the independent regulator is not needed. Um, so the Premier League is is looking at these things forensically. It is trying to ensure that when the announcements are made in respect to both Manchester City and Everton, that their case is as watertight as possible to try to get a, a, a ruling in their favour. This, there's, there's, there's a much broader political uh, debate taking place between the Premier League and the government than, than people realise. Mm-hmm. Just the last one. Oh, sorry, Peter. Do you want a quick one before yeah, we? No, it was it was with the Everton point. So I was I was going to make that point as well. Um, is because they've been fighting relegation now for two years, and it was during their first relegation stint in which it all kind of came to a head, and their their finances came to a head. It was a season when they had Rafa Benitez in charge, and it was it was all a bit all over the place. And everyone then there was reports of they were going to get points deducted and all the rest of it, and it just goes quiet and. Mm. I think for us as fans, we just think because things are not being actioned there and then, and they've been given another year to go and spend money because they did spend money mm. in the next season after that. And then 
they've spent money again. And it's like, well, if you're continuing to break the rules and you're, you know, exceeding FFP, but yet you're still able to spend, fans like us are thinking, well, how is that fair? How is that fair when, when our club is being restricted and we have the money? This is our frustration as Newcastle fans. We have the money with our owners to spend and we would spend it in the right way. And we've got the money to put down and back that up, but we're not allowed to. But they've broken the rules effectively. And, and like you said, they've been charged for it. But yet we're but yet they're able to still spend maybe not the money that they would like to, but still being able to spend. It just it, not just that, Pete it, also the, the process also just the takes too long for me. The process not just is that, Pete, also. Pete, also the teams that got relegated instead of what Everton really should have if they had the points deductions gone through in that season. You know, obviously you look at Burnley going down. There's teams that went down last year as well who technically possibly could and then they lose out on their revenues and stuff like that as well. And then there's more legal stuff to go through on that one as well. So it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it, really? But uh, quickly, just a quick one before I let you go. You did put a tweet out about this and it's the second time Newcastle have done this. Uh, they issued a, a, a share for, six, for £60 million. Do you have any ideas what this is about? Because obviously, as I said, it's the second time they've done it. The last time it was, I think it was sixty million one pound shares. The last time wasn't it? And obviously, you talked about it in your podcast this week. What do you, obviously a few fans were queried, what what's that? You know that that revenue going to be? What is it for? Is it, is it just for like you know working overheads type things and stuff? I always up for stuff for infrastructure that doesn't go against it. You know, like obviously the training ground had to be paid for. So what, what do you think that's actually going to be for? Well, again, if if we go back to word of the day, which is FFP, is that m many people, I think, fall into the trap of thinking that all Premier League football clubs are allowed to lose £105 million over a three-year period. And that is not the case. You're only allowed to lose £15 million over three years. And yeah, we got the adjustments for infrastructure spend and academy spend and women's football and community schemes and all of, all of the... Uh, all of the sort of you know the, what you might call the, the virtues in football, the things which we we want to encourage on a much broader level as part of you know, the football club's commitment to the local community, but um, the owners are then allowed to top up those fifteen million pound losses with ninety million pounds over three years, provided it's in the form of shares rather than loans. So that £60 million actually goes into Newcastle United's FFP calculation. The second issue is that it's physical cash and Newcastle United is consuming more cash than it's generating at present. Because if you take a look at, uh, if you take a look at the accounts, you know, the, the club, oh, at, at the end of 2021, um, Ashley... Yeah, he knew that the club was effectively up for sale. So Newcastle hadn't been spending a huge amount in the window. But Mike Ashley's uh, style of buying players was that uh, he tended to, to pay the whole amount immediately. Now, what we're seeing under PIF, because Newcastle spent £150 million in 21-22, they've now moved into sort of a similar structure to what we see in other clubs where players are being acquired in instalments. So, so Newcastle United actually owe 75 million on players that you signed in 21-22. And that 75 million is on top of whatever they've been buying during the summer of 23. So can you see how much money the cash 
yeah, the cash that the club physically requires to pay not just for this year's instalments, but last year's instalments and so on. And that that tops up. And then you've got players coming in on big wages. The, the things that which we have been talking about, you know, the extra money coming from St. James's Park, which is which is sold out every week, which has got people willing to come and spend more money, you've got more matches from, from the Champions League. That really hasn't started to materialise yet. So therefore, you need the owners to put that money in now to allow the cash flow. There, there is one other club in the Premier League which has an owner which has stopped putting money in, it would appear, and that, that club has got an awful lot of cash issues. Kieran? You, we, we've, we know we've extended your time over. We, we, we obviously you were wanting to do and stuff like that. There was just so much we had to cram in over, pretty much over the whole of this financial year. Uh, and obviously we've we tried to get in over the summer, but obviously you're inundated now with public appearances and interviews because you're the man to go to, and we appreciate that you've spared this time. It was on a Sunday night as well. Um, so I'd just like to say on behalf of, of, of Daz, Pete, myself, Chris as well. And everyone who's tuned in to watch and ask the questions, uh, we really appreciate it and uh, would love to have you on again in the future. Uh, but obviously, I would have to, we do have to say, obviously, Brighton this weekend, sorry, on, on uh, Thursday night, Europa League, are you happy, excited? And I'm, I'm delirious. I'm absolutely uh, delirious. We're playing AEK Athens. We've never played in Europe before. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get the violins out, but, you know, I... <laughs> I remember the 4-0 home defeat to Darlington. You know, I, I remember sort of just being slaughtered every week, you know, being 12 points adrift at the bottom of League Two. And, and, and I get, I'm, I'm going to be really emotional. You know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be sobbing my eyes out because this, this, was, never, this was never on, on the agenda. You know, we were hoping to get to the championship and now we're playing in European football and we're playing two teams that have previously won the European Cup. I, I'm, I'm just... So so happy. <laughs> yeah. I think we can all uh, emphasize and you know relate to that. Obviously, both Europe, obviously your first time in Europe, where return to the Champions League after yeah, twenty brilliant. years. It's gonna be a fantastic week for both clubs. Lo- um, and and you- savor the moment. Love every we will. second. Oh, of it. We, will. <laughs> we will. We will. We uh, will. Yeah, I can't. Go on, go on, Just a quick one. I, I want to ask you a question here about your new book. This is your chance to plug the book. Hope Newcastle don't appear in a, uh, in a chapter here in this book, do they? Well, Mike Ashley might. Ah, that's okay. <laughs> um, uh, what I'll try and do, I'll, I'll try and get, I'll try and get myself and Kevin to come back if if you want to have a chat about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, and, 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 we're, and we're not here to try to sell books, but um, I, I honestly, yeah, I, for people not familiar, Kevin is. Uh, Kevin's a stand-up comedian. I, I do a podcast with him twice a week. He's he's absolutely uh, brilliant, and uh, loads loads of people have said to us, "Yeah, you, yeah, all, all, all that you do, it's easy for you. You you sit you sit in your your homes and you and you you snipe away at club owners. Uh, you bet you couldn't do it yourself. And we 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 know that. But what we thought we'd do, we'd we'd write a book where we pretend. So we're going to take a club from Park Football to the Champions League." And along that route, um, Ke- Kevin is a very, very funny writer. All the boring bits I've written. <laughs> well, Donald is, is currently reading The Price of Football and he's, he's recommending it there. So, yes, why not? You're more always welcome back, back on the channel, Kieran, anytime. Thank you very much, lads. And, and have a great European adventure this year. And uh, 
we'll have a final and you'll have a final next May and we'll be all celebrating together. Yeah. <laughs> Could be the same final, yes. We wish. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Kevin, as I said, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night and we'll uh, we'll see you soon. All the best, guys. Keep up the great work. Take care, Kevin. Take care, mate. Thanks, Take care. Bye-bye. 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 So lads, look, we we for the viewers who know that we only had half an hour with Kieran, uh, and you know Kieran's yeah. he's fantastic. He's given us that extra time there because there was just so much to go through. We apologise that we couldn't get to every single viewer question. I know Daz has starred quite a few, yeah. uh, some really good ones. I knew there's going to be possibly a few overlaps in there as well off what we had lined up. But Daz, Pete, what 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 did you make of uh, the stuff that Kieran had to to tell us tonight about? Where we're going uh, commercially and financially? Oh, always, always interesting, Richie. And uh, I, uh, with with Reed trying to keep up with the questions, I always have to watch these shows back again, Karen, because I I miss some of the 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 detail. But uh, no, always delighted to get to get him on. And as you said, we know you, like the start of the summer, you started chasing Karen, and it, it's we've we've got him now. <laughs> so uh, we've yeah. all had uh, to go and try to chase Karen. So just delighted. And apologies, we didn't get to all to all the questions. Uh, we just tried to, to to pick some of them that linked into the conversation because, as Richie said, we only had we. Uh, he said 30 minutes, so we got nearly the hour with him, so that was great. Pete, what, what did you make of it? Did you, did, was there anything that you took out of that that you, you weren't aware of or anything like that? Or No, not really, because because it's such a hot topic at the moment. A lot of people have been talking about it, so it's been it's been the topic of conversation. Um, so there's not anything that I was kind of, you know, surprised about. Um, I, I just think it just confirmed a few things in terms of where we're going, in terms of, you know, the the sponsors and what it may allow us to spend. Um, just little things about what we could do to improve uh, spending and, and improve, you know, things are in and around the club. Um, yeah, it, it's always a fantastic listen. And, and, you know, people in the chat saw a comment of um, uh, on Stu saying he loves how he... Um, how he breaks things down and yeah. and this is why it's such a fantastic uh, listen because he does break things down and just makes it really kind of simple and easy to understand because look I, i'm not i'm not a financial guy i i don't know everything about, about what what goes in in yeah. football i don't think any of us are um but it with, with the way that modern football is moving right now um it's kind of like you do need to know a little bit about it because it does have an implication of what happens on certain clubs. We talked about Chelsea, we talked about Everton. We all had questions about both of those clubs about their their, their you know uh, relevant spending, um, and he was able to shore that up very very quickly. So this is why we love him on. <coughs> exactly. Yeah, and I've said it's a fantastic show, and it's look, it's the first show of the night. We've got another one coming up in half an hour. Pete, do you want to plug what's coming up in half an hour? Um, I certainly can. And you know what? We may even bring it forward slightly. So hold on to that um, just for a second. Um, uh, yeah, first of all, yes, Adam, I'm not a, a maths teacher. I stay far away from maths as, as much as possible because um, I do not like maths whatsoever. Um, not my expertise. But uh, we're back. And we're back with a new show. Uh, the away days are bringing a Champions League edition. So we are delighted to bring um, the, the Milan Weekly podcast to us. Vinny's going to be joining us 
very, very shortly to talk all things uh, Newcastle United and AC Milan. And he has already given me the heads up to, to go easy on him when we're looking at past <laughs> results after what happened last night. Yes, so, uh, so I did say we would brush past it. We're not. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit as well as looking at, you know, the tactics, the lineup. You know who is who he thinks is going to start on Tuesday. I'm going to be asking Chris and Keith who they think is going to be starting on Tuesday. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation on that. Um, people are in, on social media are already, already having those conversations. So really looking forward to it. And uh, Keith's coming with some European stats. So, hey, um, yeah, never disappoint. Um, um, should be a very, very interesting watch. Uh, so looking forward to, to, to getting it going. So scheduled at half nine, but um, guys, keep an eye on that because that might move slightly further forward. Yeah, just, uh, just remember, proper, proper if, 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 if you liked and subscribed already to the channel, you will get a notification when it goes live. So be, just wait for that notification <clears> that is to go off any earlier. Uh, but as you know, it's, it's, it's nine o'clock now. We're going to round up this show. Uh, and then obviously we'll get on to away days any time between what, next 15 minutes to half an hour type thing. Dad's going to see us out with the sponsors and then we'll uh, get going. Yeah, let's do so. And just a reminder, if you hadn't seen our reaction show last night as well, um, that was there for your, for your pleasure. Whenever you want to, uh, to view that, it's uh, about an hour and a half long, but it, it's uh, all happy. It's smiley face. It's for a change. Has it been a while since we had that? So yeah, quick, quick shout out to our sponsors. Shout out to the radiatorshed.com as we put Pete in jail. And look at the lovely radiators that are available from Russ. And you all know them by now. And that is him there. That's Rose. Uh, and the, here is the, uh, the install works as well. If you need to get those radiators installed via the loaded van, Russell traveling. And also a shout out to H2O Bathroom Design Co., the Northeast's largest supplier of Velcro and Botch Bathroomware. Team Valley Gates it, over 20 years established, run by the family. Get down to the showroom on 11th Avenue, Team Valley State Gates it. And you know already all the bathrooms that are there uh so yeah check those out if you're in the need of uh upgrading your bathroom and or your radiators or you know someone's building a house so yeah that's a quick shout out to the sponsors thanks for everyone in the chat tonight thanks for kieran again for coming on with us uh richie uh make sure sorry make sure you get onto away days as well uh the, the first of the european adventure uh but yeah richie say those magic words how do you like that? Good night, everyone. How do you like that? Good night. How you like